Welcome to today's Community Cast. My name is Matt Morgan. I'm the pastor at Community Brookside, a new church plant in Tulsa, Oklahoma. We are so blessed by your presence, and we hope that today's content will bring you joy. So last week, we started off talking about the story of Joseph. Does anybody have any big remembrances from last week? Anybody want to share anything they encountered or experienced last week with us that just shocked them or do what? Aaron ate dog food. Yeah, that was, that was what I was hoping for, that everybody would remember that our friend Aaron ate dog food. Thank you. By the way, listen, and he did, he did in fact enjoy it. So let me just re- refresh everybody and remind everybody, for those of you who weren't here last week, uh, last week I prepared dog treats and uh, fed them to my friend Aaron. And I asked, before I fed them to Aaron, I asked, hey, is there anybody in here that trusts me? And poor Aaron is the only one who raised his hand. So that speaks a lot about you guys and and how I rank in your uh, lives of trust. Uh, Thank you, Aaron, for being the only person in this room who trusts me. Uh, And and he was rewarded because the dog food was not actual dog food. It was chocolate, it was Rolos, it was Kit Kats. It was all the delicious things that a growing boy needs, right? It was good, it was good, good times. Um, after church, Alyssa, who had helped me prepare some of those things, ran over to get that dog food bowl and just like started shoveling it in. It was hilarious. So uh, in the story of Joseph last week, we talked about a number of things. We talked about how Joseph was a man who was loved by his father. He was his dad's favorite. Can anybody relate to that? Are you your parents' favorite? Yeah, for sure. I think we all like to believe that we're our parents' favorite, and maybe that's not fully the case, and that's okay. But being your dad's or your mother's favorite makes the rest of your family jealous. And so we saw in the story of Joseph how his 11 brothers kind of uh, got really upset with him and they were going to murder him. And instead of murdering, uh, the, the older brother Reuben says, wait, 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 let's not murder the boy. Instead, let's just throw him here in this pit. That'll teach him a lesson. So they throw him in to what we would call basically a dry well. And they sat down and had lunch, as one does after attempted murder. And so they were having lunch together. And as they were having lunch, they saw a group of Midianite traders off in the distance. And they said, hey, why don't we make some money off this kid and we'll sell him to the traders? And so they did. They sold Joseph for 20 pieces of silver to the Midianite traders who took him down to Egypt. Now, in the meantime, the brothers took Joseph's coat. This is a beautiful coat, an ornate robe that his dad had made for him. And they dipped it in the blood of a goat and they brought it back to their dad. And they said, hey, now we're not sure, but we think this might be Joseph's robe. Can you confirm, did Joseph get mauled by a bear? And dad was like, oh my gosh, that is my son's robe. And then his dad, Jacob, tore his clothes and he began to mourn. And he says, there is nothing that is going to make me stop mourning until the day I meet Joseph in the grave. Back to Joseph now. Joseph is, is living in Egypt and he's in the house of Potiphar, who is the captain of the Pharaoh's guard. And he is uber successful. Apparently, God has blessed Joseph so much that anything Joseph's touched basically turns to gold. And so Potiphar has this incredible trust for Joseph. And so he puts Joseph in charge of everything in his whole house. Scripture tells us that Joseph was good looking and quote unquote, well built, much like. Mm-hmm. Why are you laughing? What? Okay. So Joseph was well-built and attractive. And so Potiphar's wife begins to think, hey, this slave of mine 
I, I would like to spend some more time with him. And so she tries to convince him to come to bed with her. And when he refuses, she grabs his cloak off of his back and he runs out of the house half naked. Meanwhile, she's got his cloak and says, aha, he attempted to rape me. And so Joseph goes from dad's favorite to slave to Potiphar's favorite. And now he goes to jail in the the Pharaoh's jail, basically. So anybody that is close to Pharaoh, kind of high-ranking official, ends up in prison. So last week, uh, we got to see that uh, Joseph interpreted the dreams of two people. Anybody remember who those two people were? They were chief among the Pharaoh's cupbearer. Cup so the chief cupbearer and the chief Baker, yes. And so one of them had a positive dream. The cupbearer, he says, now listen, I, I had this dream where, you know, I put the cup in Pharaoh's hand and I squeezed some grapes into the cup. And, and uh, anyway, so it basically boiled down to the fact that this dream meant that after three days, he would be restored to his position back in Pharaoh's service. Well, the baker felt pretty confident. All right, that's a pretty positive dream. And so uh, the, the, the baker goes to Joseph and says, here's my dream. And Joseph says, oh, <laughs> Oh, sorry. Your dream means that in three days you're going to be murdered and then stuck on a pole outside of the king's palace. And sure enough, three days later, both of those dreams came true. Joseph looked at the cupbearer and he says, when you're restored to your position in three days, please don't forget about me. I've been taken from my homeland. I don't belong here. I've done nothing to deserve this prison. So remember me and please get me out of here. And we finished off last week at the end of chapter 40, and this is what the end of chapter 40 says. It says, the chief cup baker, however, sorry, cup bearer, that's not a cup baker, you can't bake cups. The chief cup bearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. And then it would be two more years that Joseph sits in prison until the things happen that we find out next where Joseph comes back into the story. So we're going to pick up where we left off last week. And this is going to be in Genesis chapter 41. If you have your Bibles, you're more than welcome to pull those out and make notes in those. Or you can follow along on the screen. Here's what scripture says for us today in Genesis 41 verses 1 through 39. Now listen, there's going to be a lot of reading today. And I'm going to ask some questions. And I want you guys to feel free to just shout out answers or what you think is right. And we'll, uh, we'll discuss it, okay? Here's what it says. It says, when two full years had passed, Pharaoh had a dream. He was standing by the Nile and when out of the river, there came up seven cows, sleek and fat, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows, ugly and gaunt, came up out of the Nile and they stood beside those on the riverbank. And the cows that were ugly and gaunt ate up the seven sleek, fat cows. Then Pharaoh woke up. He fell asleep again and had a second dream. Seven heads of grain, healthy and good, were growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads of grain sprouted, thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven healthy, full heads. Then Pharaoh woke up. It had been a dream. In the morning, his mind was troubled, so he sent for all the magicians and wise men of Egypt. Pharaoh told them his dreams, but no one could interpret them for him. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, uh, today I am reminded of my shortcomings. Pharaoh was once angry with his servants and he imprisoned me and the chief baker in the house of the captain of the guard. Each of us had a dream that same night and each dream had a meaning of its own. Now a young Hebrew was there with us, a servant of the captain of the guard. 
We told him our dreams and he interpreted them for us, giving each man the interpretation of his dream. And things turned out exactly as he interpreted them to us. I was restored to my position and the other man was impaled. So Pharaoh sent for Joseph and he was quickly brought from the dungeon. When he had shaved and changed his clothes, he came before Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Joseph, I had a dream and no one can interpret it, but I have heard it said of you that when you hear a dream, you can interpret it. I cannot do it, Joseph replied to Pharaoh, but God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, in my dream, I was standing on the bank of the Nile when out of the river there came up seven fat cows, fat and sleek, and they grazed among the reeds. After them, seven other cows came up, scrawny and very ugly and lean. I had never seen such ugly cows in all the land of Egypt. The lean, ugly cows ate up the seven fat cows that came up first. But even after they ate them, no one could tell that they had done so. They looked just as ugly as before. Then I woke up. In my dream, I saw seven heads of grain, full and good, growing on a single stalk. After them, seven other heads sprouted, withered and thin and scorched by the east wind. The thin heads of grain swallowed up the seven good heads. I told this to the magicians, but none of them could explain it to me. Then Joseph said to Pharaoh, The dreams of Pharaoh are one and the same. God has revealed to Pharaoh what he is about to do. The seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good heads of grain are also seven years. It is one and the same dream. The seven lean, ugly cows that came up afterward are seven years, and so are the seven worthless heads of grain scorched by the east wind. They are seven years of famine. It is just as I said to Pharaoh, God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. Seven years of great abundance are coming throughout the land of Egypt, but seven years of famine will follow. Then all the abundance in Egypt will be forgotten, and the famine will ravage the land. The abundance in the land will not be remembered because the famine that follows it will be so severe. The reason the dream was given to Pharaoh in two forms is that the matter has been firmly decided by God, and God will do it soon. And now let Pharaoh look for a discerning and wise man and put him in charge of the land of Egypt. Let Pharaoh appoint commissioners over the land to take a fifth of the harvest harvest of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. They should collect all the food of these good years that are coming and store them up in the grain under the authority of Pharaoh to be kept in the cities for food. This food should be held in reserve for the country to be used during the seven years of famine that will come upon Egypt so that the country may not be ruined by the famine." The plan seemed good to Pharaoh, to all his officials, and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, since God has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and as wise as you. You shall be in charge of my palace, and all my people are submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. That's a huge shift, right? So going back in time, dad's favorite to prisoner and thrown into a pit, to slave in Egypt, to jail. Like he has been highs and lows, right? Highs and lows. It's just like our lives, isn't it? All of us deal with incredible things. All of us deal with terrible things. And the story of Joseph is one that represents us. Now, let's be clear. I don't know that all of us are going to end up princes of Egypt. I don't know that all of us are going to end up slaves or in prison. But I know that every one of us deals with great things and also terrible things. And so he's brought before the Pharaoh because the Pharaoh had dreams. So what what did the Pharaoh dream about? He had seven what? Fat cows, 
seven fat cows, swallowed by seven thin cows that were ugly and gross. And, and it said that even when the, the seven thin cows swallowed up the big fat ones, you couldn't tell because they stayed just as gross as before, thin and scrawny. So the same dream happened with the heads of grain, seven big, thick heads of grain, solid. I mean, that's good-looking grain swallowed up by just shriveled up, gross grain. And those two dreams meant the same thing. Why do you think that God gave Pharaoh the same dream twice? Anybody? It was important, right? It is going to happen, so you better get ready. When Joseph goes to see the Pharaoh, as soon as the Pharaoh asks Joseph, now I've heard that you can interpret dreams, what is Joseph's response? What? I can't. Why can't I? Who does the dream interpreting, Levi? God does the dream interpreting. Absolutely. Now, after Joseph gets done interpreting the dreams, what does Joseph tell the Pharaoh to do? I love it. He's setting himself up like with the perfect job. What does he say? Huh? You need to find somebody who is so smart and so handsome and so good looking and knows everything. You need to find that guy and you need to put him in charge of all the things in Egypt. I don't know where you can find such a guy, right? Like this is Joseph telling Pharaoh, I got you, brother. I can help you out. He's setting himself up for a job. I mean, it might have been intentional. It might not. But he says, you have to find somebody who has the resources, the know-how, and the, the knowledge from God to save your people and put him in charge. And so Pharaoh thinks about it for a minute. And he says, well, you did, in fact, interpret those dreams. You have to be knowledgeable. And, and God gave you that ability to interpret those dreams. So you have the power of God on your side. Let's, you're the guy. Joseph was like, what, me? Oh, oh me? <laughs> Who knew? Uh, so he's now second in command over everybody in Egypt. Now, what is the only difference between him and Pharaoh? He doesn't have the crown. He's not the, he's not the king of Egypt. He's not the Pharaoh, but he has control over everybody else. He says, if you order anybody to do anything, they have to do it because you are second in command only to me. So in one day, Joseph goes from rotting in prison. So he'd been there two years, plus the time he had served up to the point where he had interpreted the dreams. He'd been there for two plus years sitting in prison. They take him, they shave him, they probably bathe him, and they bring him in front of the, the Pharaoh. And now, in that same day, he goes from prisoner that's gross and in, in the dungeon, it says, to second in command of one of the greatest empires in the world of the time. That ever happened to you guys? I mean, that's never happened to me, but how incredible is that, right? Each of us deals with things on a regular basis that affect us, and sometimes it feels like it's just too much to deal with. Now, I don't know if I would have felt the same way after two years of being in prison about God that I did before I went in. You know what I mean? Sometimes dealing with challenges to our faith really cause us to struggle with our understanding of who God is. And here it shows us that Joseph remained steadfast. There's not one time where Joseph is like, oh, darn it, God, why me? He doesn't feel pity for himself. He's not sulking. He doesn't turn away from the God he knows, but instead he grows, it seems like he grows more faithful. I can't do the dream interpretations. It's not me. It's God. 
This story is one that encourages us that we have something to look forward to even in times of struggle. We're called to stay faithful and trust where God leads us. And sometimes we can learn from our hard situations. And sometimes we can grow in those moments of trial and tribulation, right? We just have to remember that we're not alone when we walk through those hard times. Do you think that you would have been able to remain as faithful as Joseph was through the crap that he had been through? That's so hard. If you guys are anything at all like me, I know you've been through tough times. I know that you've dealt with stuff. But when you've gotten through on the other end, have you ever encountered something that you were like, there's no way I could have gotten this without that? Sometimes we have to really think about it afterwards. And oftentimes we don't focus on the good that comes after. Sometimes we just remember the bad things, right? When you tell a story, it's always the bad part of the story, isn't it? Like when you open rotten sour cream, you're like, oh my God, smell this, right? Like you, you, you want other people to encounter and experience that gross or weird or terrible thing sometimes. I saw a car wreck today. We slow down for car wrecks. We do this for car wrecks, don't we? It's weird. But for some reason, those things intrigue us. And those are, if we have a bad experience in a restaurant, we're going to tell everybody we know. We will Google review that thing. We will Yelp that thing to all of our friends. But not often do we remember the times where the good things happen. Not often do we remember the blessing that we get on the other side of the trials. And in those moments, that's where we find God. God is in this story showing up and being faithful when Joseph is faithful. So we can continue on in the story, and I know this is a lot of reading, but it's a great story. It's one of my favorites. In Genesis 41, 41 through 57, Scripture says this, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and he put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command and people shouted before him, make way! Thus, he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zephenath, Pania, and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. And Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. And Joseph went out from the Pharaoh's presence, and he traveled throughout Egypt. During the seven years of abundance, the land produced plentifully. Joseph collected all the food produced in those seven years of abundance in Egypt, and he stored it in the cities. In each city, he put the food grown in the fields surrounding it. Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Before the years of famine came, two sons were born to Joseph by Aseneth, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On. Joseph named his firstborn Manasseh, and he said, It is because God has made me forget all my trouble and all my father's household. The second son he named Ephraim, 
And he said, it is because God has made me fruitful in the land of my suffering. The seven years of abundance in Egypt came to an end and the seven years of famine began. Just as Joseph had said, there was famine in all the other lands, but in the whole land of Egypt, there was food. When all Egypt began to feel the famine, the people cried to Pharaoh for food. Then Pharaoh told all the Egyptians, go to Joseph and do what he tells you. When the famine had spread all over the whole country, Joseph opened the storehouses and he sold grain to the Egyptians for the famine was severe throughout Egypt. And all the world came to Egypt to buy grain from Joseph because the famine was severe everywhere. So what, what did Joseph receive from the Pharaoh? He got what? Signet ring. What else? A gold neck. I mean, you got to have that gold chain, right? And then he got to take a ride in what? A chariot. So he's riding around in Egypt. And listen, I, that's just weird to me. Like, all right, let's announce this guy, I guess, so they can recognize him maybe in public. I, I don't know the purpose of the chariot ride. It might just be like, hey, check out this horsepower. No? Okay, sorry. I apologize. That was bad. Uh, but hey, I, I, I don't understand the chariot ride other than to just say, this is my number two. And what's the significance of these honors? What do they represent? What do they represent for Joseph? What is the signet ring? What is the, the big parade? What is, what is all that? Huh? That he's in charge. It's power. The authority of the Pharaoh is now resting on Joseph. Here's what's crazy about this. Joseph is not Egyptian. This is strange. To give power like this to a foreigner is not normal. There had to have been something incredible about Joseph for the Pharaoh to trust him as much as he did, to give him that kind of power. So what was Joseph's response knowing that the famine was coming? What does he do? Stores all the grain. So I, I imagine, like, listen, we know that the big cities are usually pretty much compact, right? We've got houses, we've got businesses, we've got all the things. And then what's right outside the cities? Farms. The, the burbs, we got the families living a little, spread a little apart, right? So what did we do last year when we went into pandemic mode? Anybody plant a pandemic garden last year? I, I mean, I would have planted one anyway, but I, I will call it a pandemic garden. So you planted one too. I know that uh, the Janes planted one. I know there was a number of folks who planted a pandemic garden because who knows what's going to happen, right? Who knows? Joseph probably encouraged the people to plant in their front yards, which is weird. There are some cities, by the way, if you plant in your front yard, you'll get a notice and you have to like cut that all down. It's weird. But he encouraged people to plant. And then I'm sure that out in these kind of sparse lands outside of the main city area, he planted all those fields and it says it produced bountifully. And so how much grain did he store? What? Can't hear you. See your lips. What? Say it. What? Unmeasurable. It was like the sand of the sea. I think of him like the Scrooge McDuck of grain. Like, you remember the ducktails, like him diving into the money bin and swimming? Like, I imagine in my mind, like, that's what Joseph is doing. <laughs> my dollars. Uh, never mind. I can't do an accent. I don't know what that was. But the events that happened to Joseph so far have not happened overnight, right? Do you know how old Joseph was when he was sold as a slave? Do you remember? He was 17 years old. 
if you go back and do the numbers, from 17 until the time that he's taken out of prison, there's been another 13 years. What is 17 plus 13? He's 30 years old when he becomes second in command over all of Egypt. Now add to that 14 years, because seven good years, seven bad years. So 30 plus 14 is 44. Is that right? Did I say that right? Okay, 40, okay so 44. He's 44 years old, and all of these crazy things have happened in just that 44 years. Favorite, sold into slavery. Prison, favored, out of prison. Going to the Pharaoh, second in command of all of Egypt. It takes time for God's plan to work out. It doesn't always work out immediately the way we want it to, right? The story of Joseph is a mirror for us. Sometimes God's timing is not quick enough for us. We want our things our way right now, and we're not happy when we don't get it exactly the way we want it, right? Remember that there may be a reason that things may take longer than we want them to. We may have struggles along the way, but the things we learn along the way are probably going to equip us and prepare us for what we end up doing and being. It's easy for us to get lost in the hard moments of life and forget how they've equipped us to be the person that God has called us to be. God's timing and God's plan are perfect, and he wants us to be prepared. And if we're not paying attention, we're probably going to miss that opportunity to prepare ourselves for what God has in store. So meanwhile, in, back in the story of Joseph, the famine is hitting people around the ancient world pretty hard. Their crops are failing. People are running out of food. People all around Egypt need help. Scripture continues on in chapter 42 by jumping back to Canaan, and we get to see the story where it picks up from Joseph's father, Jacob, or Israel, and his 11 brothers. So in Genesis 42, let's start reading in verse 31, or sorry, in verse 1, it says this. When Jacob, and again, Jacob is Joseph's father, learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? Which is an awesome response. Why do you guys just keep looking at each other? He continued, I have heard that there is grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Why are you just looking at each other? That is awesome. Like, what are you just sitting there twiddling your thumbs for? Get busy. Oh, the Bible is funny. Then 10 of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So what do you know about Benjamin? Anybody remember what's special about him? Here's where the story gets kind of cool because Jacob had a favorite wife. He worked seven years to get his wife, Rachel. She was beautiful. She was wonderful. Uh, and, and he worked for his uncle, Lot. Is Lot maybe? I can't remember if that was who it was. But he worked for his uncle for seven years to win the ability to marry Rachel. And so wedding day comes and he pulls up the veil on the wedding night. It's like, surprise, you didn't marry Rachel. It's Leah, her older, less attractive. Bible calls her, she was weak-eyed, which means somebody hit that girl with an ugly stick. 
So she was not attractive. And so the next morning, Joseph, or, uh, Jacob gets up and he goes to his uncle, what have you done? You've sold me this, this woman that's not the woman I love. He says, well, that's great and all, but you know, listen, our tradition is that we marry off the older daughter first. So just seven more years. All, all I'm asking you is just seven more years if you want Rachel. So he works for another seven years. This man works for 14 years to win the love of his life, Rachel. And when he does, he has two children. He has Joseph, the oldest, who is now dead, right? He doesn't, rem- he doesn't know that Joseph is off in a land far, far away. And he's got Benjamin. So Benjamin is the last son of his wife, Rachel, who died in childbirth with Benjamin. It's the only piece of the love of his life that he has left. I'm not sending Benjamin. The rest of you guys go, get grain. I'm keeping him here with me. Scripture goes on. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain for there was famine in the land of Canaan also. In verse six, it says, now Joseph was the governor of the land, the person who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brother arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. Does that sound familiar? As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from? He asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them and said to them, you are spies. Very echoey. (laughs) I like it. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, no, my Lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, you have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, your servants were 12 brothers, the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father and one is no more. Joseph said to them, it is just as I told you, you are spies and this is how you'll be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place unless your youngest brother comes here. Send one of your number to go get your brother. The rest of you will be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then as surely as Pharaoh lives, you are spies. And he put them all in custody for three days. On the third day, Joseph said to them, do this and you will live for I fear God. If you are honest men, let one of your brothers stay here in prison while the rest of you go and take grain back for your starving households but you must bring your youngest brother to me so that your words may be verified and that you may not die. This they proceeded to do. Hear these words. They said to one another, surely we are being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded with us for his life, but we would not listen. That's why this distress has come on us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen. Now we must give an accounting for his blood. They did not realize that Joseph could understand them since he was using an interpreter. He turned away from them and he began to weep, but then came back and spoke to them again. He had Simeon taken from them and bound before their eyes. Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain, to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. At the place where they stopped for the night, one of them opened his sack to get feed for his donkey, and he saw his silver in the mouth of his sack. My silver has been returned, he said to his brothers. Here it is in my sack. 
And here's the response. Their hearts sank and they turned to each other trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? When they came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan, they told him all that had happened to them. They said, the man who is Lord over the land spoke harshly to us and he treated us as though we were spying on the land. But we said to him, we are honest men. We are not spies. We are 12 brothers, sons of one father. One is no more and the youngest is now with our father in Canaan. Then the man who is Lord over the land said to us, this is how I will know whether you are honest men. Leave one of your brothers here with me and take food for your starving households and go. But bring your younger brother to me so I will know that you are not spies, but honest men. Then I will give your brother back to you, and you can trade in the land. As they were emptying their sacks, there in each man's sack was his pouch of silver. When they and their father saw the money pouches, they were frightened. Their father Jacob said to them, You have deprived me of my children. Joseph is no more, and Simeon is no more, and now you want to take Benjamin. Everything is against me. Then Reuben said to his father, you may put both of my sons to death if I do not bring him back to you. Entrust him to my care and I will bring him back. But Jacob said, my son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead and he is the only one left. You hear those words? If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. There's a lot there. Joseph is reunited for his brothers or with his brothers for the first time. He recognizes them. They have no idea who he is. Why do you think that is? Makeup. Yes, probably makeup. You goof. He's wearing a costume. Mask. <laughs> do what? He was Egyptian, right? Everything now about Joseph is having to be Egyptian. He's got to present the part. He's got to play the role that he's given. He's second in command to the Pharaoh of Egypt. He is now essentially Egyptian. He can still understand Hebrew, the ancient Hebrew that these brothers are speaking, and he hears them basically tell the story of them throwing him in the pit. What does scripture say that he does in response to that? He weeps. He turns away and he cries. He remembers that moment and he weeps. Sometimes the memories of pain still bring us pain, right? And so he turns around and he says, you guys are spies, you're here to, to figure out where our land is vulnerable and you're going to come and attack us. I know it. Well, he's making up a story. These guys are probably thin. They're probably starving. They're probably smelly from their long journey from Canaan to Egypt. They're not spies. They wouldn't, certainly wouldn't show up in front of Pharaoh asking for food if they were spies. Or maybe they would. Maybe we can talk deep cover later on, but maybe this is like some, yeah. And so he presents to them that they're spies. You have one option. You bring your last brother here to prove it or you're spies and I'll kill you all. So three days he holds them in prison and then later on he gets them out of prison. He says, all right, here, here's what we'll do. I'm not gonna keep all of you. I'm gonna keep one of you. I'll send the rest of you home. Go get your brother, bring him back here. I wanna make sure that he's alive. I wanna make sure that you're telling me the truth but I'm gonna keep one of you as a prisoner. So Simeon is bound in front of them and thrown into prison and he has to wait. On the way back, what do the guys find in their sack? Silver. And what was their response? Their hearts sank and they say, what has God done to us? Now listen, have you ever like, have you ever gone into a store to buy something and they give you wrong change? And you're like, oh no, it's mine now, right? 
Sometimes, like, I think some of us have done that in the past. But these guys look at this thing like, I went to the store, I got all this grain, and I got my silver back in my pack. Holy cow, what is going to happen? They know that this guy, Joseph, they know that he's a tyrant. He's mean. And when they find out they've gotten food for free, oh, he's going to kill them all. Why has God done this to me? In this moment, they could have taken this as a blessing. What a great blessing. God has really blessed me in this moment. But instead, they see it as a a repercussion of what they've done to their brother. These guys, how long has it been that Joseph was in Egypt? How long has he been gone from his family? What was the number? 44? From the time he was 17? From the time he was 17. What's that number? Almost 30. For almost 30 years, Joseph's brothers have been beating themselves up over the pain and the hurt that they've caused their brother. Sin and guilt and shame follow us wherever we go, don't they? Sometimes God forgives us and we can't even forgive ourselves. And in this moment, we see that from that first lie, Dad, check out this coat. Is this this Joseph's? We don't know. We just found it covered in blood. We assume he's dead. Is this Joseph's or not? From that very first lie for the next 30 years, these guys have had to live their whole lives as a lie. Guilt and shame follow us when we forget about the price paid on the cross. Christ bore our guilt and shame for us. Now listen, that doesn't give us free reign to act like idiots and try to throw our brother in a pit and sell him off to slavers, right? But when we make mistakes, we can't continually make those mistakes over and over again like Joseph's brothers do. we have to recognize that when we ask for forgiveness, we have to repent, which means to turn away from the way we've been. Joseph's brothers didn't do that. And that's why they have to live in that guilt and that shame for a while because they never repented. They never told their dad, hey, listen, we lied to you. Our brother, we sold him as a slave. Maybe we can go find him. They never did that. They continued to tell lie after lie after lie after lie to continue the lie. So throughout this section of scripture, we can see that the mistakes that Joseph's brothers have made are coming back to haunt them even now, 30 years later. God, why have you done this to us? The same thing can and will happen to us if we try to cover up our sin and our mistakes rather than asking for forgiveness and working to repent of our mistakes. I have a friend, and his name is David Daniel. So David Daniel was a pastor of a church I worked at. Uh, He was there for about five years before he was moved to a different church. And Pastor David always said this. He said to me, you need to embarrass your sins before your sins embarrass you. If we hide our sins, they're going to come out. They're going to be made known. If we confess our sins and we ask for forgiveness then we have nothing to be ashamed of. Sin holds power over us when we try to hide it. 
Every single lie we tell requires another lie on top of that lie to hide it. The story of Joseph shows us that sin has a tremendous consequence in our lives. That when we sin and then we lie to cover up that sin, we end up compounding it just as Jacob's other sons did. This part of the story of Joseph should be a lesson for us that we have to do our best to not be sinful people, letting jealousy take the best of us. God wants all of us to try with our whole hearts to be the best version of ourselves possible. Jesus wants the best for us. God gave his best for us, and sin and guilt and shame are not on the list of what's best for us. The sin and shame that Joseph's brothers experienced continues to make itself known. They had lived in the land with this burden for 30-plus years, and I can't imagine that being a life worth living, you know? It's not that we should feel sorry for Joseph's brothers, but it's good for us to recognize the harm that comes when we sin and continue in that sin. The story tells us that we can expect the same kind of consequences that Joseph's brothers received until we work to make things right and we ask for forgiveness and we ask God to intervene. Friends, don't let jealousy cause you to sin. Don't let anything cause you to sin in such a way that your sin begins to compound so that you end up stuck in this cycle of hurt. God has given us a way out through Jesus. So next week, we're going to work to kind of finalize the story of Joseph. We're going to hear how the story wraps up. and We're going to see what a good thing God does through these terrible situations that impacted one man's life forever. But we have to have a challenge, right? So our challenge this week is this. Friends, take some time to ask for forgiveness for something you've not asked for forgiveness yet. Find a way to let go of your guilt by confessing your sins to God. And this week, work to be the best version of yourself that you can so that we can be representatives of Jesus at work in the world everywhere we go in everything we do and everything we say. I know it's a really simple ask, right? Like, well, I got that, no big deal. We are called to be the people of Christ. And so this week, be Jesus. Do good to those who harm you. Forgive even when they don't ask and love unendingly. Let's pray. Gracious Lord Jesus, what an incredible example of faithfulness we have seen in Joseph. God, we just pray this week that the things that we have done in our past don't continue to affect us into the future. You have told us that all of our cares we can lay at the foot of the cross, knowing that you bore our sin, our guilt, our shame in place of us. God, help us to recognize the significance of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. That you didn't just go to the cross to bear our sins, but you showed us what a perfect life looked like when we love our neighbor, when we seek to do good for those who even seek harm for us. 
God, help us to be Jesus to the world this week. Help us find ways where we can overcome injustice. Help us find ways that we can seek to do the will of God here in a world that just sees darkness. God, help us to remain faithful even when those things don't work out like we expect. God, help us to be your people even in the moments that hurt. Continue to love us, God, like you've promised us you will so that we can love others. Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you for the gift of your life, the gift of your example, the gift of your death and your resurrection. God, help us to recognize the power in those things. Jesus, we love you. All these things we pray in your name. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us on today's Community Cast. We hope that you were blessed by today's conversation. If you'd like to know more about Community Brookside, please feel free to visit us at our website, communitybrookside.com, or find us on your favorite social media outlet. We hope to hear from you soon. Be blessed.